0: Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast, the show where I sit down with former Amazon executives to discuss Amazon's unique principles and processes and tease out how you can apply them to grow and manage your business. I'm Tyler Wallace, a seven-year former Amazonian, current brand consultant, and your host as we learn to think like Amazon. Welcome to the Think Like Amazon podcast. Today, I'm pleased to have Melissa Emer with me on the show. Melissa joined Amazon in 2000 and over the span of 19 years held many roles, including Technical Advisor to Jeff Wilkie, VP of Sports, Outdoors, and Toys, VP of Consumer Engagement, and VP of Sales and Marketing for Amazon Devices. In mid-2019, Melissa left Amazon to take on the role of Chief Operating Officer at Glossier, and a year later went on to found Modern Age, a venture-funded startup helping customers live longer, healthier, happier lives. Melissa, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much, Tyler. It's great to be here.
0: I'm really happy to have you. You've done a lot of very interesting things during your career at Amazon and, and since Amazon. And I think this is really fun timing because you've recently opened the public doors into what you're now doing as CEO of Modern Age. So a lot of ground I hope to cover with you over this conversation. But to start off, let's go back and I think it would be interesting to share a little bit more of the story of your career progression at Amazon. So if if you don't mind, if we start there, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your time at Amazon?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Feels like ages ago now, but uh, happy to to tell you where it all started. So actually, before Amazon, I was at uh, grad school. Um, at Michigan. And that's really where I learned about Amazon for the first time. Um, I had a classmate who did his internship over the summer, I think, of 1998 um, at Amazon. And he came back to campus at Michigan and was so excited about his experience. So he was a huge evangelist. And that's when I decided to throw my hat in the ring for an interview on campus with them. The challenge that I had at the time was um, before business school, I owned and operated a restaurant in Vermont. So very non-traditional tech background. And I think there was a heavy dose of skepticism that a restaurateur would be a good fit for a product manager at a tech startup. Um, So I had to do a lot of convincing in those interviews. Um, And I actually ended up writing a white paper on a feature that I thought that they should build and bringing it with me to all of those interviews to convince them that I really did have what it would take to be successful there.
0: Are you able to share what that idea was that that you brought years ago?
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. It was uh, for basically a personalized book club. So I felt like Amazon knew enough about its customers to be able to make really, really strong recommendations on the next book that you should read. And back then, it's hard to dial back, but like Book of the Month Club was a really big deal for people. And so I felt like there was an opportunity for Amazon to bring that into the digital world and really, really personalize the book club selection that you received.
0: Very interesting. I'm trying to think how familiar I am with Amazon's programs and media and, and books today, if, if that exists in a similar state. But I mean, it sounds like a, a fantastic idea.
1: Yeah, I think they may have a flavor of it now with the Kindle publishing. I think you can subscribe, right? And then, and then you have access to a library. It's a little bit different, but maybe similar concept. Yeah.
0: So you were successful, obviously, in convincing the recruiting circle and uh, landing a job at Amazon. What was the first thing that you worked on at Amazon?
1: Yeah, so I started as a product manager. Um, back then, that's really what you had as a business person coming in. There was no category, leadership or anything like that. So I started as a product manager um, and very quickly was assigned a big project to work on called Look Inside the Book. And that was kind of my introduction to both how quickly I was going to need to move and sort of the level of responsibility you were going to be given right out of the gate.
0: Your reputation precedes you on this example, because I've heard from others that you were very instrumental to making Look Inside happen. You know, at the time, this this was not only innovative, but a bit unconventional in terms of how Amazon worked with publishers and and what publishers made available online at the time. Can you tell us a bit more about what you had to do to help launch this new service and this new feature?
1: Yeah, I, you know, it was. I think that project was a great example of being blessed by not knowing how hard the task was before I started. So, fairly fresh out of business school. Um, and this idea, my manager approached me with this idea, said, Jeff wants to take every book that we sell and make it viewable online. And I think back then, Jeff called it Unshrink Wrap the Book. So, uh, oh, and by the way, they want to do it in eight months. So, sure, how hard could that be? And I think. Looking back, this was 2000 and it's really hard to imagine right now, but back then publishers did not have digital versions of their books available. And so what I quickly realized was we needed a way to digitize the content um, in order to even conceive of making it viewable online. At the same time, this was right around when Napster was blowing up, and so there was all of this concern around digital rights management and who actually had the rights to do some of the things that we were talking about doing. And so I sort of had this, you know, legal perspective on one side, a product management and technical perspective on the other side, Um, but I didn't know enough to know how hard it was. We actually ended up having to make that feature possible. We had to cut the spines off of physical books, feed the pages, one by one into scanner so that they could OCR them back at back at that time, OCR wasn't that accurate. So then we had to have manual review of those OCR scans to both tag and correct the text. Um, So a huge undertaking when you think about all of the books that Amazon sells, very slow and painful process. But that sort of little bit of ignorance was enough to say, yeah, we can make this happen and getting everyone together um, to make it possible online. So fun and so impactful. And I would say that level of responsibility, that expectation that the organization set with me around, yes, you can, you can do this, even though it's going to be hard. Um, really, that's what got me hooked on Amazon being the right place for me and such a cool company to work for.
0: That's very cool. It's a very, uh, obviously, big bet on you on behalf of the company, but also gave you a lot of space to to spread your wings and, and really grow as a leader. I'm curious, you were given eight months, which might sound a lot of time to to somebody coming out of grad school and operating on a semester schedule, but um, you know, Amazon sells a lot of books. And so cutting off the spines and OCRing each of those books. Now, was it just pulling each book that you had in inventory or was the scope of this broader in terms of books that you didn't have in inventory and making a complete library of of the books listed on the site?
1: Yeah. I mean, the vision was every book we sell, right? So that's not just what's in inventory, but what's available. I think we started, and this was a really good, helpful mental model for how to think about projects going forward at Amazon, which was applying the 80-20 rule. So really understanding what books were most important to customers. Let's start with those, and then you can sort of work your way through the long tail. So You know, we did a lot of things wrong in the beginning that we, you know, learned and iterated from as we went. So initially we were only scanning 20% of the book because that's what we felt like we had the right to do. And then we were throwing away the rest, which was really foolish when you think about it, right? And so, you know, knowing that things were going to evolve on the legal front and that we probably wanted to keep the rest of those pages and really digitize the whole book up front was something I wish in hindsight we'd done differently. But yeah.
0: I'm, I'm just thinking hindsight's 2020, 20, right? But like Kindle later came around where you needed to have entire books digitized. And uh, th- th- this was probably the legwork to getting that digitization started.
1: I do think that uh, for Jeff, probably look inside the book was that initial spark of the idea for Kindle. Thankfully, by the time Kindle came around, I think publishers had changed their process to develop digital files as well. And so you didn't have to do the brute force, you know, scanning, tagging, all of that work.
0: Got it. Very cool. I think I, I used Look Inside last week because I was buying a book on Amazon. So it's cool to see a feature that lives, you know, what is it, 20 plus years at this point?
1: Yeah. And I will tell you, that's super rewarding for me. Every time I see that little icon on top of a book, another feature that one of my early teams built is the Vine review program, I think is still in place. Mm -hmm. And so I love to see that I was able to build something that early in my career and still have it, you know, have a positive impact for customers.
0: That's very cool. Very fun stories, I'm sure, to reflect back on as well. Well, Melissa, you've, you've brought up, uh, I think, this dovetails really nicely into a topic that I'd like to talk a little bit more with you on, which is the Amazon leadership principle of learn and be curious. You came into this role and this project that was unfamiliar to you, but you quickly got up to speed and figured out what it took to launch a very novel feature for customers and and then later with Vine. And you know, there, there are a number of things you launched for the context for our listeners, learn and be curious says leaders are never done learning and always seek to improve themselves. They are curious about new possibilities and act to explore them and and just looking at you know your career history to date. Melissa, you've worked to explore a lot of different opportunities. You've, even before Amazon, operating a a restaurant and then coming to Amazon as a product manager, taking on all these different leadership roles in very different businesses from retail to customer engagement to Amazon devices, then going to Glossier and now as a startup CEO, an exciting forward-looking space. How has curiosity formed or influenced your career path?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's funny, until Amazon articulated that leadership principle, I'm not sure I would have thoughtfully been able to articulate what drove me from opportunity to opportunity. But now reflecting back, it really does define almost every significant move I've made in my career, both within Amazon and outside of Amazon, right? So back in Vermont, when I had this restaurant, I felt like I was physically challenged the restaurant business is really taxing um, very difficult economically but I didn't feel like I was mentally challenged and so that was one of the biggest drivers for me going out and finding something else to do that really had hard problems and I felt like I could have an impact so if if I go way back then you know I don't think I would have ended up at Michigan getting my MBA if I hadn't really had that like learn and be curious and try to figure out what's around the next corner. Um, When I was in business school at Michigan, I spent my summer at a medical devices company. So I already had this kind of health tech fascination. But what I realized when I was there that the pace was so slow, right? It's 12 years to get a device to market and no real drivers for efficiency. And so that was kind of the first time I was like, oh, I both want hard problems, but I also want a fast pace where you're learning really quickly. Um, so when I went back to school for my second year and was introduced to Amazon by that classmate of mine, it seemed like the perfect fit. And then when you think about all of the different opportunities you get at Amazon, that's one of the things that probably kept me there for 20 years is you re- they do a great job of rotating people through different types of jobs. It, it's very self-driven. You have to say, hey, this is the next really thing I want to tackle or this is the next skill I want to add to my tool belt. But I, you know, in my almost 20 years there, I probably had 10 different jobs in very different spaces, and they're willing to make a bet on you. People used to come to me and say, hey, how do I think about when it's time to rotate into my next job? And one of the analogies that was helpful for me was thinking about the S-curve that you get with a new product adoption, right? So in that S-curve, there's this flat period at the bottom, and that's where you're really absorbing a lot of information and learning a lot. And then there's a really steep part where you're starting to take that information you've absorbed and apply it. At the top of that curve, that's where you're adding the most value back to whatever team you're on, because now you know a lot about the space, you've incorporated it in your style, and you're really adding a lot of benefit. It's also the time where you probably want to start thinking about what's next and where your next curve is going to start. So if I think back on my career, I just have tried to loop together those S-curves in every new space over and over again. And I'll tell you, in 20 years, I had many days at Amazon where I was frustrated. You're working on a lot of really hard problems, but I can honestly say I never had a day where I was bored.
0: That's very cool. And you've mentioned twice that Amazon kept you interested or kept you engaged for 20 years. And and I love that S-curve example and how you've laid that out for listeners. But somebody that you don't feel like you're intellectually challenged and you're learning, you're going to get bored and you're going to look for whatever else is out there to help you continue learning.
1: Yeah. And I'm such an Amazon, I'm such an Amazon dork, right? In my, in my <laughs> core that I have a spreadsheet that I actually use where I said, Hey, these are the things I think I need to continue to learn. Here's where I think I'm strong. Here's where I'm weak. And when I considered new jobs, either inside the company or even afterwards, I would rate those things on like a scale of one to 10 and come up with a numerical score, which is, yeah, this job is going to be great in terms of learning from the leader, but maybe it's a subject area that I already know pretty well. Um, and so that framework was always helpful to take what is really kind of a subjective decision and make it more
0: objective. That's very interesting. First of all, I, I love the fact that you use an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I agree, that's very Amazonian. But I also am curious on that point. So it sounds like, you know, one of the objectives you had was to learn new domains. You were curious yeah. about the world around you and you didn't want to stick in just, you know, one industry or one market or, or uh, segment. In addition to that, presumably you had different skills and abilities that you were looking to develop. And within Amazon, as well as outside in many businesses, there's kind of this dichotomy in terms of, do you focus on your strengths, call it superpowers or, or, you know, strengths finder, whatever you want to call it. Do you you just focus on opportunities that are going to help you display and and further those strengths? Or do you work on rounding out and, and shoring out, uh, the areas that are weaknesses that are lack of strength. And how, how did you think about that as you were <laughs> tracking in this Excel and thinking about what you wanted to learn? What were your thoughts in terms of uh, your learning?
1: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's important to consider. But a slightly different flavor of that that I thought a lot about was what is the type of work that gets me super excited to get out of bed and go into work every day? And there's always, you have this list of 10 things you need to do. And there's always those things that kind of you naturally push to the bottom of the list because you, you just want to avoid them. So I made sure if I was thinking about a new role that I had enough of what I knew I was excited about, regardless of whether I was good or not at it, because that would keep me motivated and doing my best work. And then on top of that, you kind of layer on what are your strengths and what are your gaps? I always tried to add roles where I knew it was going to push into my gaps at least a little bit. But where I knew I could do, call it 50% of the work really well. You can take a job where you've never done any of it before. It's a huge bet. You'll learn a ton, but the risk is really high of failure, right? And so for me, I always liked that incremental approach, which is every new job, I'm going to make sure, call it 30% of the things I'm doing are new. And then you know, if you do that over and over and over again, you have a pretty complete tool set by the time you're done. And hopefully you also have a better sense of these are the types of things I really love. And these are the things that actually suck energy for me.
0: I love that. I I really like that. Obviously you had this, you know, what are my strengths? Where are my gaps in mind? But I I think it it comes right back to this learning and curiosity in terms of what are you going to be excited about and letting that drive your decisions. I'm also curious, Melissa. So you also in your time at Amazon led the retail leadership development program for a period. And program within Amazon was tasked with attracting, but also retaining and developing future retail leaders for the company. How did you think through how to help others get excited about their careers and develop and round out or, or connect those S-curves as they develop in retail leaders at Amazon?
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about there really were two components to that program, which is one, how do you attract the right people? And then two, how do you develop them once they're in the organization to go on and be big leaders for Amazon? So attracting the right people, you really look for that fungible growth mindset, right? Which is you're trying to gauge as best as you can. Is this person really excited to continue to learn, throw themselves into areas where they might not be super familiar Because I guarantee you kind of the job you're talking to them when you're interviewing them is different than the job they'll get when they start 12 months later, just because at that time, Amazon was changing so much. Right. So you needed that. We would call them sort of quarterbacks or or very uh, all around athletes. You can put them in almost any job and they'd be successful. So that's kind of on the screening and the front end. And then developing them, I think it was really taking a very data driven approach to understand what that S curve looks like in each of their rotations And how quickly we should be rotating them through different parts of the company so that by the time they're, call it, three years into their Amazon career, they have a really solid foundation against which they can build on. Um, So it's making maybe being a little bit more thoughtful around, hey, we think they should have exposure to, call it, vendor negotiations, marketing, and product management. And if you have those three functions, you're in pretty good shape to go on and very quickly accelerate your leadership path.
0: Very cool. And side note, I also came into Amazon through the, the RLD program. So I benefited from a lot of that initial thought that, that you put into it and, and and it certainly helped me get a grounding in Amazon and a few different functions early in my time there. I'd also be missing an opportunity, Melissa, if I didn't ask you about your time working as a technical advisor to Jeff Wilkie. Jeff went on to then become the CEO of Amazon Consumer. And so I imagine you probably had some really interesting experiences working very closely with him. What impacted your leadership style the most from that stint working closely with Jeff?
1: Yeah, I loved that experience. In fact, you know, I spent probably my first eight months in that job trying to figure out how to make it a permanent job instead of a rotational one. (laughs) Um, So, uh, so I wasn't successful there, but I think, you know, some of the biggest lessons for me, and one of the reasons I loved it was it did feel like being back in school. And so I guess, again, it's that learn and be curious, but you know, you are learning so much at a very different perspective than you were, if you were an operating role. So it afforded me the opportunity to watch his leadership team and his leadership style and understand what was effective in terms of getting things done when you're trying to influence across a group of senior leaders. Right? And you know not every one of his direct reports was equally effective and so I was able to be a fly on the wall and say, oh, you know this approach is not necessarily effective in this situation, but this approach really is. And so that was fascinating to me. And then also just watching Jeff himself um, and how he responded and how he thought about how he spent his time, he is such a thoughtful leader in terms of his impact on his team, but even more than that the the company, so the organization that works underneath his teams. And so I used to help him go and do these brown bag sessions or these presentations. And he cared a lot about making sure he was communicating the right things around leadership principles. And he was very consistent in his message as well. And so I guess from that, I really took away the importance of, as a leader, you have this, you have this vision in your head, you have a bunch of ways you want people to behave And you cannot um, overemphasize that when you're meeting and in front of them, the importance of just sort of doing it again and again in a very clear and consistent way.
0: I love that contrast between what's in our own head and what needs to be communicated and emphasized over again.
1: Yeah, he loved to teach like he was a great when I think about the people that I work for at Amazon, he was probably one of the best teachers and seemed to get the most energy from teaching as well.
0: I also would love to understand, Melissa, just because it's thinking about many of the people that we've had on this podcast. There are very few that have had as many diverse roles, even within Amazon, as you have had. And so I'm curious, you must have figured out a blueprint that works for you to quickly get up to speed and get a handle on a business once you jump into it, even if it's you know, very different than what you've worked in in the past. Are there any pieces of advice or tips that you would give to other professionals, maybe jumping into a brand new position?
1: Yes, I use the same approach almost every time I rotated. Uh, There's a book called The First 90 Days. It was written ages ago. There's been many versions of it. You don't need any of the newer, fancier ones. Just the original one is really great. It sets up this framework and it uses a bunch of case studies on how to approach the first 90 days in a role that was so useful for me. And it really talks about and emphasizes the importance of not feeling like you have to start delivering results on day two or day three, which I think, you know, when you think about Amazon's culture and delivering results, it's a very natural tendency. You want to get in and start making things happen right away. But it does a great job of walking you through why it's important to step back and absorb information, not just about the tasks that you're tackling, but also making sure you understand all your stakeholders' perspectives upfront. So I read that book. I just did it before I started Modern Age. I did it before I went to Glossier, just to remind myself of the mental model that they set up there and the framework that they use.
0: That's fantastic. I'm going to have to. I, I, I think I started reading that book at one point at Amazon because it was also recommended by a leader, and I'm going to have to go back and read it again now. Well, I'd like to talk a little bit more now, Melissa, about Modern Age. This is obviously the new exciting thing that you're working on, in and you've had this career momentum preparing you for this time curious to know, what gave you the idea for this opportunity?
1: Yeah, you know, I kind of hinted earlier that I've been interested in healthcare and healthcare tech since I was back in grad school. In particular, I was interested in um, long-term care and sort of what happens to people as they age. Part of this is a personal story where I lost my mom where she was still pretty young And it created this curiosity around, hey, why do some people tend to thrive in what is the second half of their lives? And other people seem to decline more rapidly. So there was always that kind of underlying interest of really digging in and understanding that more. And in the process of doing that, I came across a set of research on this concept called subjective age, which basically says if you can help people feel younger than they actually are, they end up living longer. And that really resonated with me and made sense based on all the observations I've had, both from my own family as well as other people. And so the idea for modern age is really, what do people need to bring together to help them feel younger than they are? And it's not a single point of health care. It's a number of things that go into that, right? It's how you look, it's your energy level, it's your fitness, your nutrition, your sense of community. They all work together to help you feel the age that you are or younger and so that's the idea and the vision. And that's that's my hope on sort of leveraging technology, which is really what I'm bringing from my Amazon experience to help consumers connect the dots and come up with a very personalized plan that works for them.
0: That's, that's very cool. I mean, everyone's going to age, right? Like people often say death and taxes are the two things that you can't escape in life. So everyone's going to age. And so everyone at some point can benefit in a big way or, or their loved ones can benefit in a big way from something that helps them, as you say, uh, so clearly change their subjective age and and get more out of life and you know, hopefully live longer as well. I imagine that that's got to be a huge undertaking, though, to, to tackle such a big problem or, or big opportunity. What are some of the challenges that you're currently thinking about or excited for right now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, some of the first are obviously the gaps in my own experience, right? So I don't have a healthcare background other than my internship, which I don't think you can really count. I've never hired or managed doctors before. I don't know what it takes to make them truly happy in their roles. So I have a whole learning curve to get up there. Then you layer on top telehealth on top of that, which is a space that's really changing very quickly uh, coming out of COVID. And so really, what is the legislative requirements? What are the technical requirements? How do we build a really great customer experience there? And the last really important piece is we're building something that we think is very, very new and doesn't exist today. So how do we help consumers understand what our promise is and what we hope to help them with?
0: So very interesting to hear what you're working on with Modern Age, some of these new challenges and and how you're thinking about filling those gaps that you have. Are there areas where those that might be interested in learning more about Modern Age can go to learn more either as a customer or to connect with you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I really appreciate the question. So we have a website, our web landing page up. It's modern-age.com. So you can go there and you can um, actually sign up to find out more about when we'll open and what's available. But on that page, you'll also see a link to our hiring page. Um, And we're hiring across a lot of areas right now. That's my number one priority is building out the team. Um, We're looking for people across marketing, product development, um, engineering. You can imagine the usual suspects um. So lots of great roles. If you're interested in starting an early stage team, we'd love to talk to you, especially if you have a really strong customer focus and then passion for longevity and helping people age well.
0: We'll be sure to put that link in the show notes as well. Finally, before I let you go, Melissa, this has been a, a super fun conversation talking about this learn to be curious principle, but also just hearing through your personality, your leadership experience, how you've demonstrated this. As you look back, what advice would you give to listeners that want to stay curious throughout their careers?
1: Yeah, and I don't know how controversial this is, but I think, you know, a lot of people have gotten the question, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? And I think that's a really dangerous question, because if you have that fixed endpoint in mind, the smartest path is a very straight line to that. And that prevents all of the wandering and all of the learning and curiosity that would happen if you're a little bit more open-minded. So I, my advice is instead of saying, you know, I want to be a CEO or I want to be a VP or I want to be a director or whatever your five-year point, five point is, it's really saying, what are the types of things I hope I'm doing in five years? So what really gives me energy? What gets me excited? Because that opens the door to so many other paths, right? Which, If you had asked me 10 years ago, would I be CEO of a healthcare startup? There's no way I would have come up with that answer, (laughs) right? So that wandering, it would be very satisfying to have a very black and white answer on where you want to be. But that wandering, I think, will build you into a better leader over time.
0: I I love that. And clearly can see that this is something that's energizing and exciting you. I think that's a great example for many people to follow. And I love the idea of it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey. And that wandering and that learning and that staying excited, I think, can help the journey be much more satisfying versus just focusing on where you want to be in five years or 10 years. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Melissa, thank you again. This has been an absolute treat to have you on. Very excited. Continue to see what modern age becomes and how it transforms the healthy aging process and helping everyone improve their subjective age and, and live more fulfilling life. Thanks again for joining us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate it.